I'm Devin Higgins, and welcome to Episode 2 of the first season of Skull Sessions. According to the National Institute for Mental Health, by 2019, more than 51 million Americans live with some degree of mental illness. That's one in every five people. It's been a part of my life for more than 30 years. As a teenager, I developed coping skills to get through each day, but it wasn't until I suffered a complete mental breakdown in 2011 that I realized how destructive and how debilitating mental illness can be. Multiple tests with multiple doctors brought a diagnosis of chronic depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, and general anxiety disorder. Over the years, I've had times where it seemed like nothing was wrong with me. I've also had times where getting out of bed seemed impossible. Mental illness has impacted my ability to work, to have relationships with people I cared about, and to get any real enjoyment out of my life. And I won't lie, there's been more than a few times where suicide seemed like the only reasonable option I had left. At a time where we're dealing with a very serious pandemic, it can't be overstated that America is dealing with another pandemic that no one really wants to talk about either. And mental illness is a pandemic. But the taboos and stigmas still surrounding it are keeping people, people you likely know and care about, from feeling better. Savon Penn is a licensed relationship and mental health counselor in Portland, Oregon. For the last 15 years, he's tried to help people turn their lives around and get free of their depression and other mental illnesses. We talked about how the COVID pandemic impacted his patients during the last year, how maintaining a relationship with a loved one dealing with mental illness requires heavy lifting by both sides, how, despite how our understanding of mental illness has grown in the last 30 years, society still needs to change its attitudes towards it, and how one of the most important things we can do to start feeling better is make sure we all get a good night's sleep. Thanks for joining me for my second Skull Session with Relationship and Mental Health Counselor, Savan Penn. My first question for you, with how the COVID situation was last year and how we were seeing everybody who was being impacted by it and having to stay indoors and just the general malaise of you're not able to go out and do the things you're used to doing and you're not being able to go out and see people you're used to seeing and just how everything screeched to a grounding halt as a counselor for you, what was the sort of thing that, that you were encountering and what would, would you, what would you say was the biggest impact that COVID had on, on the patients that you were coming in, who were coming in to see you? Yeah. The um, I'd say the, the, the virus and the shutdown, it affected people differently depending on their personality. Um, uh, a lot of folks uh, with the disruption of their routines and uh, disconnection uh, from, from work and friends and family, it really hit them hard. Uh, so the, the isolation uh, was really rough for some folks. Uh, on the other hand, some folks, surprising at first, they're like, I'm actually doing better emotionally um, uh, being stuck at home because working from home, uh, I don't have to deal with office politics. Uh, I don't have to deal with a, a stressful commute. Um, and folks that are were a little more uh, are a little more introverted. They're like, this is pretty sweet. <laughs> um, so. At first, uh, after a while, e even introverts 
the the shutdown eventually got to them um, because it was so disruptive to our normal way of living, right? Our normal routines and rhythms. Right. So, I mean, I was assuming under the norm, most normal circumstances, people tend to find themselves in a rut in relationships and they need to figure out what's wrong and isolate problems. And I know that, you know, I remember when I was still in a relationship, the big thing that had been stressed to me when I was a kid was even from my grandparents was just, you need to be able to communicate with your partner about what's yeah. going on and figure out how to, to get to a solution that helps both of you out. For you as a counselor, I mean, how critical is it in trying to make sure that both sides in that dynamic understand that you need to be able to talk to each other and you need to be able to talk openly about what's going on. Otherwise, whatever problems you're facing, they're, they're not going to get fixed. Right. And like our usual ways of coping with, with stress in relationship, like got taken away. Right. So like a lot of couples, uh, they, they get, can get to the point where like communication doesn't feel good and it's kind of hard. So like I, I can go uh, off to work for 40 hours a week, um, you know, be out of the house for 50 if you include a commute or going to the gym. And the pandemic has forced people to live 24 seven in close quarters and like those uh, deficiencies in healthy communication, like it all came out. Um, so lots of uh, relationships uh, uh, struggle, not, not just like uh, partnerships, but families uh, too. And uh, yeah, it, it's tough. Uh, so uh, whether it's working from home or, you know, I, I manage stress by uh, uh, going to the gym or going out with my friends when that's taken away it's like man i am i'm feeling kind of stuck and trapped with you um and uh the things that worked before for for harmony and homeostasis it's like wait we have never been through a global pandemic before so we're having to figure out like individually what i need but then also what do we need as a couple and so that can get kind of tricky. Right. I mean, because one of the things that I I would hear a lot in when I was younger and I was working for, I worked for a, uh, an attorney in Portland and he handled pretty much everything except uh, domestic divorces and stuff like that. At one point he did, but being around that environment and being around people who had to help mediate and mitigate those sorts of issues when the relationships ultimately break down a lot of what you hear is the, and what gets a, and to be fair, a, a relatively harsh stigma is codependent relationships. Mm. And to your point, like what you said, you know, part of having a healthy relationship as we all kind of understand it is you get your space. You're able to go to work. You're able to go to the gym. You have a life outside of this central relationship, whether it be a marriage or a long-term relationship or even a new relationship. And the pandemic seems like that took it away and, and almost required people for a certain amount of time to be codependent and in that kind of codependent mold. Did you see any evidence of that in, in the last year? Yeah. Well, one of the things to, to like kind of sort out is like, what's 
like what's your responsibility uh, for uh, coping with the stress and, and dealing with anxiety, with dealing with depression, dealing with your responsibilities. Um, but uh, in relationship, when we care about someone, like we want to support and help someone. Um, what was hard is usually you, you take turns, right? Like if someone's having a bad day, they're struggling, they had a hard time at work, then your, your partner will like be there for you and support you and listen um, and encourage you. And then, and then you take turns, like, and then you have a bad day and then they do that for you. But what happened was just the chronic stress of, of all the turmoil, not just the pandemic, but all the ra racial uh, unrest, all the political upheaval um, were just under constant stress this last year. So like everybody's having a bad day, you know, and it's a, it's a tough spot when you're both struggling right. emotionally. And you're like, I don't have anything to give. Like, I am not healthy. I'm not doing great. You're not doing great. And we have all these emotional needs that are being unmet. And it's like, uh, it, it, we can't help each other. We can't be there for each other. Um, and the more you struggle, the more you start to buy into that and believe that. Um, and so it, it's kind of like a downward spiral, right? right. With mood. Um, and uh, so it's, and then getting support from for friends and family, right? You, you, you go out on the weekend, you go for a hike, you, you, you talk to your friend, you hopefully grab a mentor who's been through it and they can encourage you and like, you know, say like, this is normal, you guys are gonna get through it. Like, but we're so isolated and disconnected. Right, and I think that kind of, once we understood that, yeah, you can't go out and you can't really socialize except online, through a format like this. I mean, I, I think that helped people cope to an extent, but again, being in close proximity to people when you can't, when the closest you can be is six feet and you've got to make sure that you're bundled up as best you can because you don't know if you may be in a situation where somebody you care about ends up getting sick. You know, that adds to the pressure. And like you said, I mean, everything, especially in the last calendar year, let alone, I think it had been building up over the last four or five years of all this stuff of with the economy and with politics. And we saw that fragmentation, especially, especially in the last four to five months after the election of, of people who don't know what is going to come next. All they know is what's happening and what they have been told through whatever media or whatever outlets they get their information from while cloistered in their little bubble what's coming next and what they need to be afraid of. You know, I, I've seen a lot of it with friends of mine who I have one friend in Chicago that she's having a really, really hard time with her mom because her mom is really, really in a bad mental state just because of what's been happening politically to say nothing else about the vax or about the, about the pandemic and the issue of the vaccines and the economy and all that stuff. It's just this one thing that's really fractured their relationship as a counselor how do you go about trying to get people to start getting back to a central point where they can even begin to connect? That, that, that's the million dollar question. That's tough, Devin. Well, one, I think one of the, the key things that I, I work with folks, so, so I do health coaching, do phone appointments and, and do individual and marriage counseling. 
But one of the main things all last year was talking about limiting the external inputs, the social media, the news. I mean, I'm talking with folks, they're, they're at home, they're retired. Um, they're, you know, they've got knee and hip problems, so they're not very mobile. I mean, they're listening to the news 14, 16 hours a day, like just all day. And the, uh, and the mind-body connection, you know, we're, we are influenced and impacted by the content that we consume. Absolutely. And uh, so, you know, how do you get back to connection and, and, and like get grounded uh, it, it, it's super hard because uh, the inputs are so different, mm-hmm. right? The, um, you know, getting on the same page um, and, and attuning and aligning with people, even though if we're very different, it, we're losing common decency and common ground. And so the, the more we listen to these different channels of content, the further and further we get apart. Right. I mean, I, I, as a journalist, as somebody who has been knee deep in how this stuff has been produced and seeing how that evolution has gone for the last 15 years, let alone for the last five or six, you know, I've, I've had people tell me, how can you stand it? Because you're, I'm part of the problem uh, just by being in it, you know? And, and for me, that's one of, I take that seriously because one, I under you're absolutely right in that we are we are governed by all the external stimulus that we encounter in a day, a week, a month, a year. And if you are constantly letting yourself be being bombarded with all this stimuli that tells you that this perceived outcome is going to happen, even though there's contrarian evidence to suggest that no, it's not, the longer you stay in that, the more of an uh, effect that's going to happen to you. My dad was like that. You know, my mm-hmm. dad passed away two years ago and mm-hmm. for the last, I'd say five, 10 years of his life. And, and like the, the elderly patients that you've talked to, you know, he was in his sixties and seventies. He wasn't physically mobile. He wasn't working anymore. Uh, but he spent all his time, all his time just consuming extreme media online. And mm-hmm when he would call me and start just sounding off to me on it, I would have to explain to him from our trying to be rational and saying, no, dad, this is not everything you're seeing. No. And I can give you evidence upon evidence upon evidence to the contrary, but he was just in such a mind state that he just did not want to believe it, you know? And, and in a lot of ways that was kind of his, his tragedy of, of, under, of thinking that's how the world was as opposed to how the world is if you can just change your perception a little bit and let your perception be changed. And I, I know, also speaking as somebody who has dealt with mental illness for a long time and built up a lot of coping mechanisms, some helpful, some not, I know that's not an easy thing to do. So, I mean, for from your from your point of view, you know, what are coping mechanisms right now that people can start trying to build up that might help them kind of get out of the rut they're in? So there's uh, three areas of life that that affect each other. So so being healthy and and taking a look at how am I doing in these areas can definitely and uh, can help with this. 
taking a look at like uh, our, our thought life, our mindset. So uh, it, part of the uh, framework for counseling that I use is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And you might be familiar with it. It's commonly used for anxiety and depression. Yep, that's, um, that's part and, of what I used. Yeah, and uh, insomnia. And it's, it's just looking at the mind-body connection. So our how is my mindset and my thought, how are my thoughts affecting the rest of my life? Um, especially how are my thoughts affecting me emotionally? How are my thoughts affecting my choices? And the, uh, yeah, the, the messages uh, outwardly, but for a lot of folks, especially folks that struggle with anxiety, is sometimes the hardest thing that they're dealing with isn't what they're watching or reading on social media or on the news. It's their own internal dialogue. It's how um, they process it. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, taking a look, you know, uh, how am I doing with cynicism and criticism and, and, uh, fear and anger, um, uh, uh, that, oh, anger is an emotion. So what I'm thinking about, it, it influences how we feel our, it, our emotions. Um, and then it's an, it's a positive or negative feedback loop. How we're doing emotionally starts to affect how we interpret things and what we're thinking. So here's an example, like uh, we, uh, when I'm talking with clients, uh, we, we look at emotional reasoning. Emotional reasoning is if it feels bad, then it is bad. And so, uh, it, and it's, it's really tough when uh, you, you get into the, uh, when you're dealing with anxiety or feeling overwhelmed um, or depression you're just struggling uh, to get out of bed, to get going, you're struggling to do uh, not just the things that you're responsible for and need to do, but you're struggling even with the things that are, would be fun. Yeah. Um, you know, like some folks, they struggle working at home from home because they're on Instagram or on ESPN or they're playing video games. But you can get to the point where you're struggling, where you even that. You can't even do that. Right. Um, and so um, looking at how you're doing emotionally and then uh, your healthy habits, healthy rhythms, your daily rhythms, your weekly rhythms, how we're doing with our physical health impacts, how we feel impacts how we're thinking. Um, and so uh, looking at those different areas and seeing if there's any room for improvement, like in the physical health realm, like healthy eating, physical activity, getting enough sleep, you know, those are the basics, but like the basics are everything. (laughs) Right. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, baseball players when they, their, their batting goes off, they they go back to the tape and they're like, am I doing the basics? Right. But it seems like we don't, as a culture, we, we don't really allow ourselves to make that sort of investment, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. something you touched on that, that really strikes with me was, when I had my breakdown in 2011 and my mental illness really, really amped up from the way it was when I was a kid in my twenties and even in my early thirties, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the things that I had leaned on is, is not coping mechanisms, but were the things that I found entertainment out of things. I found enjoyment out of things. I found yeah. pleasure out of like reading books and watching movies and, you know, mm-hmm. and designing things and, and going out and, and exploring things. The, mm-hmm 
the stimulus that had been supplying that for the majority of my life at that point was suddenly gone. And it was really, really, it was scary because it does leave you with that point of, well, if I can't even get any measure of what I liked about opening a book and reading it, then mm. what the heck am I going to do? I, you know, what am I, what, what is the point of me existing if the things that had helped me define who I am and what I like isn't mm. there anymore? You know, and, and that seems to me to be something that I would suspect that a lot of people struggle with, especially as they're just trying to kind of get the mental understanding of of just what has happened to them and, and how much of an impact having the onset of depression or anxiety or PTSD or stuff like that can have on them. Are, are you seeing any indication of that either? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and you can see that in like the desperation people have for going to the gym or going to church right? Like the, the kind of those things that really provide uh, like life, you know, something to look forward to at the end of the day, or like going through a hard work week, just in the grind, looking forward to the, the, the weekend. Um, and when, uh, when you lose that's that, uh, the, the, the ability to feel comfort, satisfaction, joy, uh, peace um, in those things, then it, it, it is a scary place. It is a low place because then um, it, it just speaks to like existential meaning um, and purpose in life. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, when, when our daily routines um, get taken away um, and, and, you know, these disruptions, you know, focus, uh, getting laid off um and like who am i like what good am i um and uh, it, it it's tough to to go through that um and you know one of the, one of the key things for for making meaning and finding meaning and, and purpose in life is that connection with community it's part of belonging i mean you can see this with our you know the, the months of daily riots like um you know what however stance you aside you you take with things uh there's something powerful about belonging to something a cause um you know i'm, I'm sure uh, people uh during the protests and things like that you know finding that thing you feel like you're being heroic Right, you're you're you feel like you're taking a stand for something that's important. Um, some sometimes it's uh, destructive, but like that's kind of that's the appeal is finding that. Um, so, so, but but it's helpful to kind kind of do the work of finding what are my core values, like what are the most important things in my life, and how. how how do I express and live out those values more? For some people, it's their faith, their re religion. For, for some, it's their art um, or, uh, you know, the, and so finding an ex uh, a way to express who you are um, and share yourself, your life, who you are with other people. It, we have to get, we've, we've had to get creative and kind of fight for that. 
this year and so much of it is online right right um now um yeah it's neat you're you're doing this podcast you're starting this podcast um i know which is weird because i (laughs) to be honest you know that was one of those things where i've been doing podcasting since 2005 and i had been doing different things at different projects but there was that point where i especially after this last year when you know circumstances forced me to not be employed anymore and i was trying to think okay now what can i do or what am i going to do you know and and i've been i've been down that road so many times it was weird i counted out the other day and and this is kind of to your point of putting yourself in a position where you start looking at that mindset and those intrusive thoughts start creeping in just as you're just doing everyday calculations and tabulations of just kind of checking to see where you're at. You know, I realized since I was 16 years old, I've now had 27 jobs and the, you know, and, and to the idea of people who say, well, you know, the reason why you're not successful is you don't work hard enough or you're not this or you're not that. And Mm -hmm. I looked at that and that was both on the one hand, it was kind of like, okay, well, it shows me that I didn't, I didn't quit. You know, uh, something went bad. I had to find something and I just kept going until I found something. But at the same time, it was also one of those of going, wow, I've had to grind that hard for that long. (laughs) And, and, and when you start thinking about it that way, the whole the whole notion of, of getting intrusive thoughts in your head and thinking that you automatically look at that. Okay. Does that mean I actually succeeded in some way or does that just amplify the sense of failure that I'm feeling because of that, because I'm not where I wanted to be because circumstances beyond my control or because of things I did have control over forced me to be in this situation now. And I'm to the point where emotionally I can't, handle it as well as I did maybe when I was 16, 17 and more optimistic and thinking, Hey, I've got my whole life ahead of me. Whereas now I'm a silver haired middle-aged white guy. And I'm like, well, now what the heck am I going to do? You know, it's, it's weird how, you know, and and you and I are are of similar ages and I don't know if you're, what your experience with this was, but when I was a kid, we didn't talk about depression. We didn't talk about mental illness. We just simply said, Oh, that person's crazy. Or that person is nuts or they we didn't we never even bothered to want to find out why they were the way they were we didn't talk about things like that you know part of the reason why my family dynamic broke down was because I couldn't talk to my mother about the things that I was feeling as a kid because I couldn't articulate them I couldn't define them all I knew was I was feeling these really super intense things and one of them it was something you touched on earlier was anger you know going through as a kid going through physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, you know, all that stuff. When you're a kid, you're expected to be able to handle that stuff like you're an adult, but you don't have the physiological means to do that. Your brain hasn't formed yet. It's still in the process and your emotions are shifting every second, you know? And one of the things that I had to come to real terms with, it was the first thing I talked about with my therapist. And I should say for the point of record on this, even though Savannah and I have known each other for almost 10 years now, which is kind of crazy because this is the first Probably, time we really yeah. had a long conversation like this. <laughs> Savannah is not my therapist. So even though he may bill me for the hour for this, I don't know, but uh, that's his prerogative. But no, I, my therapist who I was seeing in, in, in Maine where I lived last year, we did 
cognitive behavioral therapy and we did, I think it was ABT. And I'm trying to remember what the actual acronym for that stands for. Um, but I explained to her, I said, you know, she said, well, you got to find a way to stop being angry because that's my primary coping mechanism is just, it, it's, it was one of those where I don't like outwardly show it, but it was my way of staying motivated. And she said, well, you've got to figure out a way to shift to something else. And I told her straight out, I said, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that because the idea horrifies me. I don't know how to exist without that coping mechanism that's right there that has helped fuel me through the, all the majority of my life. For, for patients that you talk to, how much do you find that they're, they're, they're that apprehensive about it? Because I'm, you know, like we all know, change is hard. Changing your mindset, changing your attitude, changing your physiological makeup, changing your mental makeup is really hard. And I would suspect that a lot of people are, are in a similar mindset about their emotional state thinking, I don't know if I have the capacity to do that. Yeah, it's, it's hard when, when it's both very important and you realize like, I need to deal with this. It's affecting my work. It's affecting my relationships. It's affecting me. I'm miserable. Like, so it's super important, but then my ability to, work on through these emotional things like I didn't learn it so that you know the gap between how important it is and and your your like ability or your experience that's tough and that and that's where like group support or uh, a therapist to kind of help guide you through um can be really helpful to to learn what you need to learn um but like the the anger um you know, we talked about like habits and routines and rhythms for coping with stress. Sometimes we have emotional habits. And so like anger, it's kind of like, um, and I just thought of this as you were describing it. Um, it's kind of like Iron Man, like his little core. Um, and so like it empowered him, it fueled him, you know, motivation, determination, going to push through hard things you know, get knocked down, I'm going to get back up and get, move on to the next job, you know, um, do what I need to do. But like, I, I think in one of the movies, it was like starting to poison him. Yeah. And so it's both power, but also a curse. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, you know, you know get, getting like frustrated or mad enough about how things are, like you look in the mirror and like, oh man, I do not like this. This, this needs to change. Like, it can be an okay start, but it's not sustainable. It's not healthy. So your therapist is absolutely right. Um, th that being said, one of the hard things about this last year is sometimes there's no amount of positive self-talk that, that makes what you're going through like, okay. Right. You know, just the mess of certain aspects of our country and what we're dealing with right now. It's like, so you know, part of uh, letting go of anger is accepting reality. So like acceptance and commitment therapy is, is one thing of uh, like, there's comes to a point where things don't get better, like just with more effort and more, you know, beast mode, just grinding. Some, sometimes it's learning to know like limits um, and accept certain things 
except when rel certain relatives are very stuck and ingrained in their ideology. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like the serenity prayer thing of like, you know, doing, having the wisdom to do what you need to do, right? Um, or, or the courage. Um, and then the serenity accepts the things that you can't change. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and then when you get to that point where like, oh man, I've done everything I can and it's just still not working out. It's the, it, it's transitions from the, like the white hot pain of, of anger to the softer side of just grief mm -hmm. and acceptance. And with that, it, it, there comes more peace to focus on not banging your head against the brick wall that is not going to change, but shifting your energy to these are the things that I can change and influence and pour my life into and good things can come out of those things. This is just a dead end. And even though I would like that to change, I can't for now. Or, and maybe it's just for a season. It's not the right, you know, I don't have the leadership or influence or power to change something like, you know, broken workplaces or, um, or relationship. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean my life is over. I'm going to find the thing that um, I, I can bring good things, um, you know, a cause, a relationship, a group um, that I can invest in um, and, uh, you know, bring, bring joy and satisfaction. Yeah. Um, in, you know, it, yeah. Right. And, yeah. and something else is, you know, I wonder about this with, because my, my ex-wife had this issue when I came to her and I said to her, you know, I, I know something is wrong with me as far as emotionally that, that I could tell that my mental attitude and my well-being had shifted at one point before it actually really broke and trying to articulate to that, that to her and try to say, Hey, you know, I understand that something is wrong here. And I understand that I, I really need to go do something about this. You know, do you find that with the significant others of, of people who come to talk to you about depression and mental health and things like that, that sometimes you kind of have to educate them on what, on what their significant other is going through on what that person is going through? Because, you know, culturally, like you said, we are so ingrained and it's generational and it's not gender specific, but it's, it's the American way. We don't just go around the wall. We don't find a way to give the American way is to just put your head down and go right through it and damn the consequences. And yeah. I think in the last 30 years, we've still not gotten very far in understanding that that way doesn't work for a lot of people because, and, and as you mentioned, you know, you can get frustrated, you can get, you can find yourself in a bad situation, but when it keeps happening over and over and over and over again, and you and I, in a slightly unrelated tangent, you know, you and I have studied martial arts for a long time and we understand the mindset of when you go up against an opponent, they're either going to beat you or you're going to beat them. And you can get, you know, and I, I studied boxing for a long time. And you can get knocked down and you can get back up and you can keep doing that over and over and over again. But you inevitably reach a point where either your mind or your body go, we're not getting up again. 
And there's no amount of positive self-talk you can give it. There's no amount of motivation you can give it. There's nothing anybody can tell you at that point of that's going to get you to get back up. You are done. And you have to accept the fact that for until you can recuperate enough, you're not getting up. But we keep telling ourselves, no, you got to keep doing it. The whole bootstrap mentality of, well, things are bad. We'll just pick them up and keep on going. And I worry a lot that we are, for as much as we've come to understand about mental health and depression and anxiety and PTSD and all that stuff, that as a whole, we're still not fully grasping the idea that what came before doesn't work. And we need to change our mindset as a, as a country and a society if we really want people to start getting better. Are you seeing any of that too? Yeah, you, you're, you're right, Devin. And, and you know, that's why I'm glad you're doing this podcast. Um, I, I mean, men ha- have to talk about it more. They have to tell their stories of what they've been through. You know, so many people are just kind of suffering in silence or going through just terrible, you know, and you know, you know, you know, you've got your story. Um, It's just miserable. And, you know, like Twitter, um, it's just awful. Like the shaming and just the cruelty, just frankly, cruelty. Like there's people that there's just no empathy. No. Um, And, you know, people say the, the, the worst things. Um, it, it, it's, you know, like reaching and getting through to people one at a time, um, is great, but like culturally we, we, you know, we got, we got to do better. Um, and yeah, there, you know, there's more awareness of uh, like, uh, CTE and, and like, uh, you know, head injuries. Um, and, and mental health and um, mental illness um, in combat sports and, and other, you know, basketball, like several NBA players are sharing their stories uh, about their struggles with anxiety and depression. So I think just raising awareness and trying to reduce the, the, the stigma. Um, but we have to start with ourselves, right? Like, we, um, you know, we have to deal with our own uh, the ways that we shame ourselves or buy into those old messages and, and learn how to practice self-compassion uh, for, for an understanding for ourselves and, and, and do that for others. And, and hopefully that like, um, so on one hand, like we have so much so far to go, but I, I, you know, uh, reducing mental health uh, uh, stigma, you know, the pe- people are out there fighting for it. There's great organizations um, that are, are raising uh, the awareness and um, kind of spreading uh, that, that message. Um, and uh, yeah, the, it, it's, it's hard to, to go through um, mental illness uh, alone. Um, and having people that understand is so key. And so, um, you said earlier about about partners or people in relationship with people who are struggling with anxiety or depression. Um, uh, NAMI is a great organization, uh, NAMI.org. Mm-hmm. They do uh, peer uh, education groups. So families that have gone through 
uh, a member of their family uh, uh, struggling with mental illness, they, they do uh, groups and they're, they're doing them online now. Um, you can uh, just learning more about what it's like to, to live with someone who has, has, has anxiety or depression. Um, living with someone who has um, a, a degenerative uh, disease like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, uh, learning how to live with someone who has ADD and ADHD, like that's, uh, that's, that's tough. Um, uh, support and understanding for being in relationship with someone who is on the autism spectrum. There's lots of good support and resources for, for family and, and partners. Um, sometimes when I'm in therapy with folks, their family or partner will, will visit and, and join us for, for sessions. I wish it happened more, um, mm -hmm. but, but sometimes that happens. And, um, uh, ex uh, and, and what that looks like is, you know, when I work with a one-on-one -on -one with someone, they're, I'm working with how they're getting through life and their, their daily responsibilities and their day-to-day, -day. but when they're, they're, family member or uh, loved one visits, we explore like how, how is anxiety, their mental uh, health struggle, how is that impacting their, their relationship and, um, you know, coming up uh, and every, everybody uh, comes up with a different recipe for what works for them. Right. And, and, and that's the other thing is that, that we, we tend to think that, that, and we think about this with a lot of things with Western medicine that, that, oh, we'll just take this pill or just do this thing. Or, you know, it's a one size fits all remedy that a panacea can come in that way and it will just solve everybody's problem. But everybody's different. Everybody's experiences are different. Everything that fuels what eventually leads them to being in a, a state of mental illness is different. There is no singular way to go through it. You know, right. CBT was working for me, that doesn't mean it's going to work for the next person that walks into my therapist office. One of the reservations I had when I first started was I had gone to doctors who, who simply just said, here, gave me a bottle of antidepressants and said, come back in a month and tell me how you feel. Well, I understood that while antidepressants do help and they do help in the physiological sense, they're not a panacea they, you just don't keep taking them and that's it. You still have to get to the underlying issues that are causing your mindset to be what it is. So, you know, it was refreshing with the, with the therapist I had that she was like, okay, well then let's actually try something. Let's try actual therapy and see how that works. And if that works, we'll keep going. And if not, then maybe we'll start incorporating medication into it. You know, you have to find that balance and you have to find what works for you. And, yeah. you know, so many people just think, okay, well, I don't want to go sit in a therapist's office and talk about my childhood for an hour, or I don't want to have to sit there and take pills because if I take them and somebody sees them, then I'm going to get judged for the fact that I have to take them when I can't just suck it up, you know? And, and, you know, the thing I'm also wondering about is as far as the med, the medical infrastructure in this country, you know, I had people who for a long time looked at me and they were like, well, Dev, just go to a therapist. Go, go see somebody. You have a job. Go see somebody. The person I was able to go see last year was the first time in my full adult life, which now spans 25 years, 
that I could have gone and seen somebody that I could afford to go see on a regular basis because my insurance was such that they covered enough of it that I wasn't paying so exorbitantly out of pocket that it was impacting my ability to take care of myself otherwise. Yeah. And I don't think enough people understand that side either. That I think if we really need, if we really, really want to tackle the problem, we need to tackle it systemically as well and make it so those options are available to more people. Because, you know, a lot of people can't wait 25 years to go see somebody. And that's a lot of time to accrue a lot of damage. Yes. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Like, like counseling therapy, it, it's expensive. Um, and it, it, it's tough. Like it's great when you have insurance, right? Um, uh, and, but even like it, there can be hassles and inconvenience and, and a struggle when, when with insurance uh, too. And so, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I'd have a, a, a lot, I, I'd get paid a lot more if I could like solve the, the mental health access issue in our country. Right. Uh, Devin. Um, you know, so aware, but like awareness and prevention, like it, it is, is so important. Like um, in, incorporating more, uh, emotional intelligence, uh, um, mental health, uh, m mindfulness, um, uh, training, uh, healthy communication um, earlier in in people's lives, you know, it, with, with kids growing up. Um, you know, the, the thing is like, oh, we're going to apply a solution when the problem uh, shows itself. Our, our kids are, 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 are getting hammered with mental health. Um, yeah. problems like you know it's it's they, these are not skills to learn like when you're in high school and you're about to go off to college so you can like be a healthy emotionally healthy independent adult like like kindergartners um uh need uh, this tra this training it needs to be a part of the the curriculum but again like not enough time in the day to teach everything that kids need to learn right but right it's so hard to learn mm -hmm. when you're, when your brain is overwhelmed with anxiety. Um, it, you know, the anxiety and depression it affects learning. It affects memory. It affects our sleep. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the vastness, the, you know, how big a, a problem this is, um, can be intimidating and, and overwhelming. Um, but, but hopefully, you know, when, when things improve, the, the, it, it impacts the other things too. Right. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's, that's what we have to, uh, to fight for. Right. Um, Let's talk about sleep because, you know, yeah. what, along <laughs> with being a family counselor and along with being a, 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 a you know, depression specialist, your big passion is sleep and, and understanding how people, how that ties into people's overall health and also their mental health. And that was something that, again, I hadn't really thought about much until it was brought to my attention in the last year of people, ask, you know, my therapist asked me, how much sleep do you get at night? Mm -hmm. And it could vary anywhere from eight hours to two 
you know, because I've had chronic insomnia since I was 12, 13 years old. I, and, and it was hard to try and understand at that age why I couldn't go to sleep on time, you know, and, and why I couldn't turn my brain off. And then would you get in trouble for it. I would, because, you know, as a kid, you're, you're, it, it, you're regimented. It's you're yeah. up from this point, seven thirty, eight o'clock, go to bed. And if you're up, clearly you're not interested in paying attention to what your parents want you to do. So you get punished for it. And it's like, mom, I can't sleep because I can't shut my brain off. And I used to get in trouble because I would, as a kid, you know, what most kids do, I would read. And the problem was that reading kept stimulating my brain enough that I would want to keep going. And the next thing I knew it was like 11 o'clock, but as a kid, you're more malleable. So you can bounce back easier. You could get by on four or five hours sleep as an adult, not so easy. You know, right. and and when I was in my late 20s, I went through I'd gone through a really traumatic couple of years and it got to the point where I my brain wouldn't turn off because that was when it shifted from I'm just awake because of an overstimulated kid to I'm awake because I have a a brain that is now giving me at this time of night, it's no, you're not going to bed yet because I'm going to blast you with every intrusive thought you don't want to think about. And all these flashbacks and all these memories of all these things you really, really, really want to forget. We're going to go through that all right now in this big slideshow. And hey, have fun going to work in a couple hours because I'm not going to let you sleep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for you, what is that connection between making sure you can get enough sleep at night and how much that does impact? your ability to fend off mental health or even to deal with mental health. Yeah. You know what, what you described, right? It, it's, uh, it, it's like a perpetual energy machine, right? How, however it starts like sleep problems. Um, but like having chronic uh, insomnia, uh, sleep problems is, is like having chronic pain or chronic stress. Um, it, it, it just perpetuates and, and, and feeds itself. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, can, it can be miserable. Um, it, uh, one of the things that I ask folks is, uh, is sleep the problem or is it the symptom? So like, uh, is your sleep poor because of anxiety, depression and stress and work and conflict in relationships? And if that stuff got better, then you would sleep. Or is it the other way? You don't sleep well for whatever reason. Or it feels like you get enough sleep, but you wake up tired and you're always tired. Um, so something's wrong. Um, but how you're, how tired you are and how little sleep you get, that is what feeds the stress, the anxiety, depression. Two hours of sleep, oh man, work is going to be miserable. Like I'm just, you know, you wake up feeling terrible, like, and then you have a 10, 12 hour day, like, oh man, that is like tough to wake up to day in, day out. Um, and so sometimes identifying, um, if I'm not sleeping well, um, why? Um, and sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it's like conflict in the relationship. It's work. I dread going to work, sleep fine on the weekends day before I have to go back to work. Oh man, I can't, can't go to sleep. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes, um, uh, it, it's hard to pinpoint. Right. And, um, 
Yeah. So, and, and, <clears throat> and again, speaking to the culture that we have been in for so long, you know, and I'm sure you heard it too. It's all the, the, the typical American mindset of, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, we don't allow ourselves time to rest. We don't give ourselves time to, to actually sleep. We think for a long time we saw people who decided, okay, well, I'm, instead of just keeping going, I understand that I'm going to go get my sleep. It was almost seen as a sign of weakness in some regards of, well, that just means you're not trying hard enough. It's like, no, you're worn out. You can only go so long before you need to sleep, but we don't we don't really afford ourselves the luxury of doing that. We'd never really thought of, of it as how important it is just to keep ourselves running from a physical perspective, let alone understanding that you need that time. You need that sleep for your brain to regenerate and for your brain to be able to process everything that it has. Cause we, we tend to, you know, Robin Williams, bless him, had this great line about how, you know, we don't understand that the human brain is a three and a half pound gland that responds to stimulus constantly. And if you were at some point, even it has to go time out, I need a break. And that's what sleep is for, you know? And, and I, I often try and think about when was the last time I got some really, really good restful sleep. And the frightening thing is I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember because I'm so used to, having my sleep pattern shift where I can go to bed at like 10 o'clock one night and, and I can get to sleep and I'm okay. The next night I won't be able to go to bed until three in the morning because my brain will kick into that gear or, and I don't know if you have this with some of your patients of they dedicate themselves to getting to sleep at a certain time. It's like, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm in bed at say nine o'clock and at like 11, 12, one, their brain just automatically kicks online and goes, Hey, remember me, all that stuff that you didn't want to think about. We're going to think about it now. And right. now I'm not going to let you go back to sleep. So you, you start to get sleep, but then you're not allowed to sustain it. You know? And I don't think enough people understand that as far as, as making sure you can give yourself a, a good sound sleep cycle so you can wake up and you can feel rested and you can just feel better because it's amazing how much, you can feel better if you've had good six, seven, eight hours of decent, legitimate sleep. Right. Right. So you, you said a lot there, but like it, it's great. Like you're describing what people are going through. So th there's different types of insomnia, right? There's the insomnia where I go to bed at 10 and then I'm up for two or three hours. I can't turn my brain off to get to sleep. So, um, there's the other thing like I'm exhausted I'm tired I only get four hours of sleep a night so I go to sleep at eight or nine because I can't stay awake and then I wake up at one or two and then I'm done for the rest yep. of the night so that's called sleep maintenance insomnia sleep onset getting to sleep and sleep maintenance insomnia and then some folks they have just non-restorative sleep where they're in bed from 10 p.m to 6 a.m but they're waking up every hour or they're tossing and turning and they sleep really lightly. Mm -hmm. um, see, like when you have chronic insomnia, this is kind of the thing. It's kind of the key for fixing and healing and curing and uh, sleep is making friends with sleep again. Like sleep isn't an enemy. It isn't a torturous uh, experience. It's not full of frustration and just like agony. 
it, and that's no exaggeration. You can get to the point where it feels like agony, like yeah. trying to get through the night. Um, but is bedtime and the idea of sleep, is it calming and soothing and comforting and like, oh, it's something I look forward to. And it's just solid and like uh, stable and like, like something like is like brings me peace um, in, in my life. You know, that, that's um, kind of, you know, the, the, the goal of, of restoring healthy sleep. And when, when, you know, like your sleep problem entered into your life, like early on. Yeah. So you, you, you like what a good night of sleep or what's normal is for you is like distorted. Yeah. And, and I've yeah. had, and, and you touched on it. I've had nights where, where it was agonizing to try and get to sleep. And the weird thing was, is, and, and I don't, and again, I can only go by my own experiences on this, but I've had nights where I've been so desperate and so agonized over the idea because I can't fall asleep that it would kick in my fight or flight response. Exactly. And like, I would have to get up and go down to my garage and like wail on my heavy bag for however long it took me to finally get that out of my system and wipe me out. So I could drag my carcass back upstairs and go back to bed. And it may be an hour or two and, and, you know, and people don't, and for a long time, I, I felt like uh, I, I felt like a freak because I just didn't understand why it was that one, I couldn't get to sleep Two, when I went to sleep, I couldn't stay asleep. And then I would get into the point where I just want to relax enough and go to sleep. Yeah. But out of, out of nowhere, it's all of a sudden, it's like I'm being chased by a bear and I've got a fight or flight. Yeah. And it's like, it, it I understand how scary that is for people. I understand how just absolutely confusing and disorienting that is for people because we just think as soon as our head hits the pillow, that's it lights out. We're done. And especially now with, you know, you can have your phone on 24 seven and we're plugged in all the time and having social media and, and not having the means that we used to have when we were younger pre-internet of, no, you just turn the light off and go to bed. Maybe you stayed up and watched Johnny Carson. Okay, so what? You know, you yeah. get a laugh in before you go to bed. But now the the landscape is so different that what do you think? If, if there's one thing that people really need to to emphasize or understand about it, what do you think is critical right now for people at this current at this point in time to make sure that they can start getting better sleep? Yeah, better sleep, anxiety. Um, depression is really paying attention to, to the, the mental emotional stimulation and not just in like the hour before bedtime, but throughout the day is practicing more, more mindfulness um, and, and learning uh, uh, stress management techniques, relaxation techniques and managing your, your arousal, your physiologic stimulation throughout the day. So here's an example. If you get up to like a scale of one to 10, if you get worked up to like an eight or a nine, and you can do that reading Twitter. Um, Easy. You know, like your bedtime routine of 30 minutes, 60 minutes, you know, some people it's like two minutes, right? Of relaxation. You'll go from an eight or a nine down to a five. And because you're exhausted, you might, crash and go to sleep but then a couple hours later you, you, you toss and turn you wake up a little bit you need up to get to use the bathroom 
you're back up to an eight or a nine, right? Right. You, you slept for two hours and you're like, oh man, I'm wide awake and it's one o'clock, right? And then, and then the oh no kicks in. Like, ah, here's another night of bad sleep. I'm up at one o'clock again. And then you're here and it takes a while to wind down. And then, so you're getting two hours sleep, wake for an hour or two, two hours, you know, it's just bits and pieces of sleep. Right. right. But managing your, your the, the chronic stress, the, the, the anger, the outrage, um, you know, the, um, the, the negative uh, inputs from coworkers or family or whatever, having healthier boundaries with that. Well, if you manage your stress and you go to bed at a, at like a five or a four, um, or you start there and you, your bedtime routine gets you down to like a two or a three, that same thing that woke you up, you know, getting up to use the bathroom, instead of being wide awake and just like, oh man, you know, tempted to get back on the phone or, or on the computer. It's like, I'm drowsy, I'm sleepy. I'm going to go right back to sleep. Right. You know, um, it, it's, it's, it's as corny as this is going to seem because it's such the new trend. But one of the things I genuinely found out uh, over the course of the last two years, two, three years, what has really, really helped me fall asleep and get to that point where, like you said, you can get from instead of starting at an eight and going to a five, getting down to, say, a one or a two. Ironically enough is I will I will turn the turn my monitor off on my phone but i will turn on asmr videos on youtube mm -hmm. because yeah. you know and, and and say what you will about them i'm not saying this is not a <laughs> prescription i'm just saying this is what worked for me your results right. may vary i'll put in the side effects at the end of the show but the just the the understanding of getting your brain to disengage and get to a state where you can relax enough that your circadian rhythm can kick in and let you fall asleep. Once I started doing that, the, the, the stimulus I got from it was instantaneous of, okay, I can put this on and listen to it for 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes I've listened to 45 minutes or more, depending on what my brain is trying to do to keep me awake. But if I can let it engage in it and let it, tune down then inevitably i will fall asleep really quickly which has been a real big help but i also yes. understand like other things you know like antidepressants and like therapy it's it's not the means to the end there's other things i need to be doing like you said to build up during the day to make it so i don't have to rely on that especially on the nights where it doesn't work and i still have those nights where it doesn't work so what are some other resources that people can look into and and explore if they're having difficulty sleeping and trying to find ways to get them to a point where that's not as big of an issue before i answer that i, I want to um speak to the the um asmr or whatever finding the thing yeah it's sometimes if i try this and it doesn't work so then i go move on and try something else Mm -hmm. And it's not that it didn't work. It's that maybe it does work, but you need other things too. Right. For everything, like the recipe, it, um, for all to, the planets to align and it all to click into place. And so sometimes it's like, oh, it's, you know, it, like the, the video, YouTube video, um, that's like 25, 50% of the solution. And then I need this other piece. 
you know, I need to, to walk and exercise earlier in the day more consistently. The other 10%, 25% of the problem, I need to reduce my caffeine. Um, and uh, another 10% of the problem, I really need to sh uh, shut off social media two, three hours before bedtime. Um, so trying trying to find uh, that and, and it just experiment. And uh, so to, what other tools? Uh, there's, there's great apps. Um, uh, the, the one that I recommend the most is free. It's by the VA and, you know, they're trying to help their, their soldiers um, recover and heal from PTSD sure. um, and the disruption of their sleep. So they have a great app. It's called the CBT-I Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia Coach app. That's a great one. Um, it's got uh, lots of different tools to reset your body clock and uh, your circadian rhythm and teach you the relaxation to calm and slow down and turn off your brain, um, whether it's at bedtime or in the middle of the night. That's a great app. And um, ASMR, um, the Calm and Headspace apps, those, those are, are helpful. Those are useful tools. Um, but learning more. Uh, about uh, sleep um, and the different types of sleep problems can help. You, um, if you go on Amazon, look up a workbook or book, you'll find most of the books are based on cognitive behavioral therapy or mindfulness. And you'll see that they usually say, oh, this will help you sleep in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, because that's the research um, most uh, to reset your body clock and also learn the skill of turning your, your, your brain off. It takes about four to six weeks, uh, uh, you know, six to eight weeks if you've got other medical conditions or a long history of, of poor sleep. It can take a while. Um, but I, I've had folks, uh, Devin, uh, this year, uh, pandemic is the thing that messed up their sleep. It, it slept fine until like work from home happened. Right. And, you know, less than five hours of sleep. And this app, if you catch it earlier, it's easier to fix, right? Cause it's not hardwired into your body and your brain. Um, it, it's, it was this app, like less than five hours. Next week, we met five and a half hours. Next week, six and a half hours. And then the third week from, from less than five hours of sleep to like 7.4 hours uh, sleep per night. So, um, you know, life happens to our sleep, um, uh, but you can you can learn different techniques to heal and 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 protect it. Um, if uh, if you struggle with anxiety or depression, if you like overthink things, or if you're creative, um, then Elde. you know it, it 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 can be it can be tough, right? Yeah. Or like if you have an imagination or you love to read, like part of you map oh, I want to sleep. I'm tired. And part of you is like, yay, we get to read. Like, so, you know, here's the next book I want to read. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I, I had a patient who read uh, six books a week. Wow. I remember when of, I was younger and I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I miss those days. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, oh, like how much she was, she was getting two, three hours of sleep a night and just reading all night. Mm -hmm. um, so uh what I encourage folks to do is whatever you're doing at n night in the middle of the night, do it during the day. Right. Re you know, reading's great. Um, do it on uh, your lunch break. 
yeah. Um, because sometimes the, the short-term thing that we use to cope with not sleeping becomes the, the, the problem. So whatever problem started your sleep problem, that gets better and goes away. And then sometimes the way we deal with sleep deprivation keeps us stuck, like a vicious cycle stuck in the pattern. Mm -hmm. And so that, that can be reading, that can be watching TV, that can be too much uh, energy drinks or caffeine during the day. Um, you know, it, it can be hitting the heavy bag at two or one or two in the morning. Um, and uh, so, so sometimes the, like the cure uh, can, uh, can, can bite you. Uh, and so the app uh, can help with that. I'll, I'll send you the, the info. Okay. Um, and then the books that I uh, recommend for folks to kind of learn more. Yeah. And, and, you know, hmm. we were, we talked a lot, we've touched on social media a lot. And one of the things I did in 2020 was I made at the December 31st, 2019, I decided, okay, I'm going to take a year off. I shut down my Facebook account. I got off Twitter. Not that I was on Twitter to that point very much at all anyway, hmm. but I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't make a huge pronouncement as we're because we got really passive aggressive about things on social media too. It's well, I'm going to do this and I don't care if you don't read it because I'm not going to be here. Then you inevitably you're setting yourself up for failure because you're going to want to go back to see how many clicks there are and how many likes you've gotten on it. And I don't know if you've seen this, this uh, documentary, but there's a documentary called the social dilemma that was done, I think mm. a year ago, yeah. but I would encourage people to watch because it gives you a lot of insight into just what how social media has been built to keep you plugged in and it has gotten to be and we haven't come out and said it but in a lot of ways that we've kind of acknowledged that you know that pornography can be addicting and social media can be addicting just like any other substance because again it's a stimuli and it's keeping you going back to it and if it's filling a need in your brain that perpetuates itself and keeps it so you're not being productive doing other things, it's an addiction. And as the son of an alcoholic, you know, my dad tried to explain this to me when I was a kid and I didn't understand it of your life gets focused around drinking or being on social media or exercising or whatever it is that feeds that beast in your brain. Yeah. I felt better that, and I only ended up being off social media for 10 months. I only went on it again because I had to be uh, after I lost my job. But how many times do you, how much pushback do you run into people when, if you ask them, you know, how much time do you spend on social media or have you considered getting off of it for a while, especially with what we've seen the impact of it in the last, in the last year? Yeah. There, there's, there's not much pushback because people, when they come, come to counseling they they know right they they, they know it, it's not um th that they're unhealthy with it i'm not i'm not saying social media is right or wrong no like i think cal cal newport the author of deep work like he's like get off social media like he, he you know what I mean? um i i enjoy social media it, it it's uh you know there's lots of benefits to it but it's uh, you know, everything in moderation, right? Right. So, like, like you, um, you know, whether it's food or Netflix or, um, or working out, um, good, good things to extremes, um, 
can uh, be unhealthy. And so uh, the, the pushback isn't like, oh, I, I, I should probably do less screen time. The, the, the thing is like, I don't know if I can. Right. It's like, I, I kind of am addicted. Yeah. Right. So like related to insomnia, I recommend that people get old school alarm clock and, and use the battery par- powered uh, alarm clock and kick their phone out of their bedroom. Yeah. There, there's pushback back to that. Oh yeah. Because it's, right. It's, right. And, and me being a journalist, I, for a long time, I had to keep my phone right by my bed because if somebody called if something happened in the middle of the night, my boss needed to be able to get a hold of me so I could get yeah, up and call. go do it, you right. know? And, and, but we, we seem to forget the fact that, yeah, our phone is a phone, you know, if, if we, but it can do so many different things. Now you can use it for social media. I don't have any social media apps on my phone anymore. You know, I took Facebook off years ago. I took Twitter off years ago because I knew if I didn't do that, I was going to spend all my time with my head down, looking at my phone, wondering what's going on on social media. I have a hard enough time on my computer doing that even now, you know, and, and it, it does seem to me that, and, and again, to your point, we're not saying that social media as a construct is bad, but I agree with the idea that what whatever you're getting out of it, if it's not healthy, you have to address that issue. And, and I think it seems like that, that one of the things that we, we do need to do is start finding ways that we aren't as addicted to it. We're not as dependent on it. And it's not, it doesn't have as much of a foothold in our lives. We can go back to doing other things that we can do to be more productive and by proxy in theory, be happier. So, you know, I don't prescribe or, or rec. I, I do recommend you kick your phone out of the bedroom because like you, you came to me asking for help with sleeping better. Like that, that's my best recommendation. Um, but in terms of like limits to social media, I, I let people decide for themselves like what's healthy. But I ask them, like, how is this affecting being present in your relationships at home with other people? And how is this affecting your anxiety and your depression and like your view of yourself, you know, the fear of missing out comparison with people's lives on Instagram. Um, you know, how, how is your time on social media affecting your view of yourself? Um, and, and like, what's enough, like the sense of contentment, um, and, and peace with yourself or, or you, are you constantly dissatisfied with how things are going for you? Because it looks like everybody else is doing so much better. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's the, that's the other thing of, of we've gotten so used to building these facades on social media of see, look at my perfect idyllic life with me and my family or me and my significant other, or me by myself doing this thing that you can't do right now because your life is what it is, but my life is what it is. So therefore you should look at what I'm doing and aspire to be like me. You know, the idea that, that, you know, if you had told me 25 years ago when the internet was first starting, that there would be an occupation called a social media influencer. By the time I hit my forties, I would have been like, are you kidding me? And that's not a get off my lawn, grumpy old man statement. It's just one of those of the understanding that that what we knew as kids and what we knew as young adults at our age and what my son, who is going to be 10 in a couple of months, their world that they're growing up in is so much different. And I know you as a parent, you've got kids who are in college and you had kids who are of, of, 
of that age that that you saw how they grew up in the dawning of the internet and the advance of the internet you know so we're looking at it from a slightly different perspective than people may be looking at it now but i in some ways i'm i'm somewhat happy about the fact that i can think back to when we didn't have it and and trying to find ways to try and get my life back around the point where i wasn't dependent on this thing to be able to have as big of a foothold in my life for negative reasons as much as and not for the positive reasons i get a lot of good things out of the internet but we have to i think we've gotten to the point where we have to accept the fact that if we want to get better in terms of physically mentally emotionally we need to really change and address the conversation of of what we are intaking as far as our overall stimulus in the span of a day or a week or a year as part of how do we all start getting better? Because I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to feel better. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be able to put up on their Facebook page or whatever. Hey, today was a good day. I had a really good day and not to be, not to throw it out there to be passive aggressive or to say, you know, I'm just doing this because I want people to like it, but just so they can express themselves and say, Hey, I had a good day today and and not have that be kind of vilified or skewed in some weird way you know that that's my hope at least what what's yours if you have one for this next year yeah yeah M- more hope more more uh more unity or common ground um uh, would be great um i i our country um not to get too political um, it's okay, but we, we we need to heal up. We're not in a good spot. No. Um, and it, it would help. We're we're going through a hardship. We're going through a global pandemic. Um, more more compassion, more more grace and understanding. Um, despite our differences, like to to just to to get through. Um, this uh, w- would be great, um, and you know that, that on a community level or a national level. But like the, the other thing I'm ho- hoping for uh, this year, hopefully with uh, uh, ed- like vaccine um, uh, and hopefully things opening up more, is just for people to to get back to m- more to normal, like whatever normal is going to look like moving forward. Uh, but for people to have just more connection, you know, not, not to be alone with what they're going through, whether it's sleep problems or relationship problems, um, or just struggling with anxiety and depression and, and, and how they see themselves. Um, you know, just, just more hope that like to, to enjoy life. Um, yeah, that'd be great. That's a good place to leave it. His name is Savan Penn. You can find him at Savan. That's Savan with two N's, Penn, P-E-N dot com. And you can also find him on Twitter and he's around. So he's but on his website. He's got a lot of good recommendations for dealing with post-COVID relationship issues, sleep, stress, insomnia, things like that, how to get the year going in a positive direction. So I would recommend you check it out. But Savan, it was great to catch up with you. It was nice to finally get this first con- real conversation we've had in I don't know how long out of yeah. the way. Uh, yeah. Send me the billing statement. I will have my people <laughs> take a look at it for the hour, and then we'll go from there. But thank you very much for joining me for this skull session. Thank you, Devin. 
Loved being here. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Skull Sessions. If you're dealing with or know someone who's dealing with mental illness, there are resources available to help at NAMI, that's N-A-M-I, dot org. To Write Love on Her Arms is a nonprofit movement dedicated to finding hope and help for those struggling with mental illness, and you can find more information about them at TWLOHA.com. And if you're feeling hopeless and are lost in despair or grief with no idea how to get out, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255, or you can go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. There are people out there who can help you, and there's time for you to still feel better. I know better than anyone, it's not always easy, and a lot of times it can be scary. But I promise you, it's possible, and you're not alone. If you like the show or have recommendations for how to make it better, please leave a review. I swear it really does help me figure out how to make this show better. If you want to contribute, you can at my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Devin J. Higgins. For as little as $5 a month, you can be a producer and have your name included here at the end of the show. You'll also get advanced notice of upcoming shows and first crack at bonus content once I've been able to figure out just what that's going to be. All Patreon proceeds go towards keeping the show going and making it better through the purchase of new equipment, so I will make sure your investment is well spent. Music for the show is provided with permission by my sister, Rowan Church. You can follow their band, The Crystal Furs, at crystalfurs.bandcamp.com. Their new album's in the works and set to come out later this year, but their full back catalog is still available, and if you're looking for new music to put on your phone or get through your daily routine, seriously, give them a look. Skull Sessions is a presentation of Pressbox Productions, copyright 2021, and all rights are reserved. I'm Devin Higgins. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week with another Skull Session. Talk to you then. Bye.